Hello, legends, and welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, we're catching up with Cub member Surab Thaper, owner of recruitment technology companies Turbo and Vidi. Surab is an expert in helping business owners find and recruit the perfect candidates. And with today's recruitment environment, this conversation couldn't be any more relevant. We discussed little tips and tricks to playing the long-term game in finding the right people. Surab shared lots of information of how to improve your recruitment process. And he shared his family's incredible story of migration and great sacrifice to be in Australia and the lessons that he's taken from that journey that have made him the businessman and leader he is today. He's a serial entrepreneur, having bought and grown several businesses, very special guy and a long-standing member of CAB. I love him, great friend of mine, and we had a great conversation. Enjoy the show. I just read that um, you invested in Peter Heary's gaming company. I did. How I good did. is that? He, did you listen to his podcast episode? I did, yeah. Did you like fantastic. it? Yeah, it was yeah. a good episode. He's a, he's a lovely guy. Yeah. Lovely guy. And I think it's, I mean, it's a testament to the club, but he's he's one of those people where once you meet him, you engage with him, you can, you, you trust him very quickly. He's very honest. Yeah, he's a beautiful person. Yeah, and, and he really believes in his product. And when you see that in someone, then you're, you know, it almost makes it easy to engage with them. So, 100%. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I actually connected him, or I'm, no, I did connect him to another member named Dave Malcolm, who mm. actually was in like the podcast one week ago, or two weeks ago, because he's also in gaming uh, and in blockchain in gaming. So so hopefully something comes with that. But but um, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having <laughs> me. No, please. I can't believe it. I, I'm, I was reading your prep sheet in, in your success stories for Cub. You've got – You've got so many. I was like, "This is awesome. This is making me feel. I feel good. I feel good having you here." But, um, man, you've also got a very interesting story, and that's really what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about um, who you are as a person. And I mean, I didn't even know, but you were born in Africa or in we're in Kenya. Born in Kenya, yeah. Yeah. And so I was third third generation Kenyan. My grandma was born in Kenya. My dad was born in Kenya. We're Indian by background, obviously, but. Uh, um, because India, Kenya was all, all under British rule at the time, uh, very easy to travel. Um, so, you know, as a family, we were very, very transient. Wow. So, so your great-grandparents, is it, moved to Kenya from India? Yeah. So he was, he was an accountant and he moved to help when they were developing the railways in Africa. Yeah, he was an accountant for, uh, in, in Kenya. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And what was, what was living in Kenya like? Amazing. Really? Yeah, it's fantastic. Africa, I think, you know, Calvin is from South Africa. When you meet someone from Africa, you have this connection which is unbelievable. There's something that attracts you to that land. Even when you come there after a while, it's uh, yeah, most beautiful place, beautiful people. Um, it's yeah. one of those places. It's funny. Sometimes it gets a bad rep. People don't want to go. But anyone, everyone I've ever heard goes to Africa. They say it's one of those things. It's special experience. It draws you. It literally yeah. draws you. You feel like you're you're a part of, you know, that great continent. So yeah, it's it's truly amazing. If you ever get a chance, make sure you go. If you ever get a chance to go safari, 
you know, I would highly, highly recommend. Oh yeah, it's I'm a massive animal person, so I, I can't wait to do this. Yeah. I've, I've got to do Africa very, very soon. But and and so when did you? So then, what made your family migrate to Australia? We moved here because um, when you are when you're in Africa, often as kids, you've got to then go and travel overseas. You've got to get educated overseas. So your year eleven, year twelve equivalent, and then university uh, is always done in UK. US, Canada, or Australia. From, from Kenya, you say? From Kenya, yeah. 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 And so Why that, is that? that, look, I think the education system there, first, it's a little bit hard to get into, into universities there, but then also, um, most people prefer to have their kids educated, you know, in some of those other institutions outside of, outside of Kenya. So um, many people travel outside. My parents, I think it was probably more my mum, didn't really want us to, to leave home that early. Uh, and so then they started looking at options to uh, to move away, and uh, they looked at UK, looked at Canada, US, Australia, and then I think Australia was the first one that accepted them. So yeah, okay. so then they. Came oh, so in. so your mum, she didn't want you moving away from her at the age eighteen. So she was like, no, no, no we'll move like, as a family to one That's of these right. guys. That's right. Oh, That's clever. Right. That's right. Proper proper ethnic mum. Yeah, how good know? a mum. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't want you to leave home. Wants you to be there. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, how young were you, or how old were you when you when you migrated? Nine. I oh, so you were real young. Yeah, yeah, it was young. Yeah, nineteen ninety. And what was that like? Can you remember being nine? I can't loved, remember being. Yeah, I can't I remember two it. weeks ago. I mean, we traveled. We traveled a lot as a family. We did travel a lot. But um, my biggest, well, the biggest thing I was looking forward to was actually coming to McDonald's. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So there was no McDonald's in Kenya. We'd been to UK. You'd see McDonald's, but I love McDonald's. And so literally, when my parents said, "Okay, we're moving to Australia," I was like, "Do they have a McDonald's?" <laughs> They're like, "Yep, I'm not sold. Let's go." What yeah. a powerful brand that yeah. brand is. Oh, it? it was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And at the time, you know, it was yeah, it was the burger joint. And uh, yeah, as a kid, I guess, what do you love? Fast food and and Coca Cola. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so, did you go to a major city or? We, Are you from Sydney? So did you guys come straight to Sydney? No, so we so 1990, heart of the recession, um, was really difficult. Uh, we moved to Melbourne. We were there for six months. Uh, initially, it was really difficult for my parents. Uh, so a lot of their expertise, their qualifications weren't really recognised. Plus, you're in an economic recession. So it was quite difficult to, to get a job. So we were in Melbourne for six months. Uh, my dad got an opportunity then to move to a small town um, about 400 k's from Melbourne, so right between Adelaide and uh, and Melbourne, Mount yeah. Gambier, 20,000 people. Uh, so we moved there, and uh, yeah, that's really where their journey began from a, from a work perspective. And I imagine you guys would be the only Indian family from Africa <laughs> in we Mount were, Gambier. We, we were we were definitely different, de- definitely different. But look, amazing place, and you know, I think that's what. I love about being I love being in Australia. I love that we have so much opportunity here and even moving to a small town um you know we were made to feel very welcome um like you said only Indian family different accents but yeah very very much welcome. And did you great. find did you ever did you ever um uh, not complain but did you ever feel um disadvantaged or different because uh, because you were uh, because you were different, I guess. Like the only thing I can relate that to, and it did make an impact on me, was when I went to an American high school. I mean, even just being Australian and yeah. and speaking weirdly and 
and um, and not understanding the system there and things. Even that for me was, and that's a much smaller transition, but that for me was like, you still stand out. You still feel like, oh, I've got to, yeah, I, 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 I can't remember, but I definitely remember it made me stronger. Like you had to, I kind of had to overcome almost uh, being slightly a little bit different and, and become stronger as a person. Absolutely. And look, I think, uh, so I, I credit my parents in relation to this point because they always said, you have to embrace who you are. Don't ever forget who you are. And if you're comfortable in your own skin, uh, other people will be comfortable with you. If you mm. feel that you're different, and you are different, you know, there's, there, there's no doubt about it, but you have to embrace it. And, uh, but if you're not comfortable with it, then other people won't be. Yeah, it's actually quite interesting because it, it's kind of like business. You need to own you. You know what I mean? You need to be you. As a business, you need to be you, your niche, your, 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 your brand, your thing. And, and when you are, that's when your business normally does well. It penetrates the market and people, people like it and it expands. It's kind of like Conor McGregor. He's Irish. Irish people love him. And then from the Irish people, it spreads and you know, it becomes, oh, and then Americans love him. Then things, but everyone knows he's Irish. You know, he's been, he's been him. Absolutely, it, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's this and, little and, and people resonate. Life. People resonate with yeah. you. And then people see, you know, that you're able to build trust. You're able to build empathy you're able to, because you're being you. Yeah. Um, and and I guess, that's, that, that's the best bit about it. Absolutely. So what was, a, what was a great lesson that you kind of, what was a, a life-shaping lesson that y- you could thank for for um migrating to australia and and maybe and, and being in a small town and being unique look i think uh yeah again it comes down to to how my parents raised us um being able to embrace that difference being able to believe in yourself persevere you know all of those elements are really really important particularly when, when you're somewhere new you know i look at my mum and uh when they first came here as i said their qualifications weren't recognized uh, my mum was a teacher was a teacher at a, a very good school in Kenya, um, but her qualifications weren't recognised. Same thing with my dad. He had, uh, he's got numerous degrees, masters, and again, it took him a long time to to get to the position that he was before we moved here. So they really persevered, and then um, ultimately, and that belief in themselves, and actually their ability to work as a team, has really been instrumental for themselves. So. Um, my mum, as an example, she knew nothing about business. Um, she bought her first business when she was 51. Wow. So at no point did she – they were always focused on getting us educated. Once we were educated, an opportunity arose uh, and she bought a business at 51. So it's never too late. Yeah. Never too late cool. to believe in yourself. Yeah. Hey, good. Yeah. She's, she's, yeah, she's amazing, I think. And, um, and so – but was business – Something actually, you know what? Just before I get into that, you know what always amazes me by, about uh, migrant parents typically is they they often lose their position in society, their qualifications mm. in life to move somewhere for their kids. It's like they basically they've got to take two steps backwards for their children to take ten steps forwards in the in the sense. And Absolutely, and it's a huge sacrifice. Massive. It's a huge sacrifice, and if you think about it, it's. Uh, you know, that's what ultimately we can learn from as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, you know, when uh, you have kids, I've got a little boy, um, your perspective really changes. Yeah, my grandmother, when she migrated from Mexico, she, uh, in Mexico, they were part of a, a very big family. When they migrated, they, they basically came with nothing. Mm. 
And she uh, she was working in fact like shoe factories and just literally factory work and, and sitting on the line, put pick up the thing, put it down, do this, whatever. And uh, I I always said to her, I said, you know, was that what you were doing uh, in Mexico? And she's like, God no. I wouldn't do that, but I had to do it because I, I I wanted to be in Australia. I wanted to, you know, like these people sacrifice to to have a better overall life or to be in a better place in in the world, and, and to provide and to provide opportunity. Yeah, for their kids. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's just it's just you hear these people sacrifice for. Yeah. And it, again, another just pattern in life. Without sacrifice, you, you don't get reward. Yeah, and that's with anything. You know, exactly. And, Sometimes the bigger the sacrifice, you might be moving across the world from your family, your cousins, your uh, whatever. That's a big sacrifice, and then you throw on the um, oh, I lose my degrees, and I'm you know I'm not a lawyer anymore, and I'm or whatever it is. You know th- these are giants, and then then you don't know the language properly, and you're different, and you've got to assimilate and figure things out, and you know learn the legal system and the government support or whatever whatever's needed. That's real sacrifice. Absolutely. Yeah, these days people aren't just sacrificing shit. Oh, yeah, I didn't I wasn't able to go to the gym in the morning because <laughs> you know I'm not allowed to work from home anymore. So, you know, the sacrifice. Yeah, people like that, they're never gonna get anywhere in life. They, they, there's not real sacrifice. Sacrifice I had this actual conversation with my brother the other day. Sacrifice is when you really you, you sacrifice parts of your life for one part of it. To grow that one part. That's real sacrifice. When, when you can't go to a best friend's birthday dinner because you just haven't got the energy, it, because you, you, you're you so focused on conserving that energy to, to go to work the next day and to, to, to accomplish your goals for your team. You think that's when you start sacrificing, when you actually lose things that you that you that that are that are important to you for the benefit of uh, another aspect of your life. That's that's real sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. The birthday dinner is not the best example of but <laughs> it's a small example. <laughs> He wanted to go to the birthday dinner and you were like, No, no I wanted to. He was wanted to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was explaining to him. Was, he, he, he was saying um, that, uh, oh, you know, I, I worked really hard this month and, yeah. and um, you know, but I didn't get the result I wanted. And I said, well, you worked hard for a month. I said, last month you were in Europe. Of course you didn't get a result you wanted. I said, you haven't sacrificed anything yet. Don't go to Europe. And just do those two months and watch what happens. Don't go to Europe for three – or work hard, focus for three years and watch what happens. Or do what I've done, do seven years of, sac- of of stress and no sleep and sacrifice and not doing things I want and, you know, then you see results. But like anything, you do sacrifice parts of your life, like to, to lift – yeah, and you see it with family all the time and, and like business – parents in businesses, sometimes they sacrifice their time with their family in order to um, – in order to contribute to that family with good opportunity, and and so it's it's or you sacrifice fun to be healthier. <laughs> you know, yeah, you might, that's right. There's all different aspects. That's I don't right. drink alcohol because I want to be have an eight pack. You know, yeah. like to get an extreme of something, you have to sacrifice other things. You have to give another part away. Mm. And you, you're right about business owners, like, and you know, you probably come across so many. Uh, well, you do come across so many, but. I see there's so many circumstances where you may see someone, you don't see them for a year or two years, you see, and you're like, where were you? Well, actually, this is what I've gone and done. Motherfucker, so working is yeah. how I was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't have so, time to call people and think about things. That's right. That's right. My priority my was somewhere else. My priority was my business, my family, whatever it may be. And, uh, and, and I that's respect how you get that. Yeah. yeah. And, and we, but when you see them, it's like you saw them yesterday because, you know, it's like, wow, like, 
you almost become che you, you, you're cheering for them because you could see that they were focused. It yeah. wasn't that they weren't interested in you. It's that they were focused in their goal. And who do you want to be around in life? You want to be around people that are focused on their goals. Absolutely. You respect you respect it. Yeah. 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 And but, but so with obviously your mum bought a business then at the age of fifty one, which is incredible. But was business always what you wanted to do as a kid or what your family expected of you? Or what did they, what, what did you want for yourself and what did they want for you? It was, uh, it's interesting because when I recall, I wanted, one of my first dreams was to own my own restaurant. And uh, I always wanted to be in business. We had family members that had a restaurant in Kenya and I just loved it. I love the fact that you could, you're out there with customers, you're feeding them. I love cooking as well. So that was always a, a huge passion of mine. Over time, uh, I think things changed a little bit and uh, uh, I then wanted to be a heart surgeon. So I focused from a very young age, then I wanted to be a doctor. And uh, even when we moved to Australia, it was almost always my focus. I got to year 12 uh, and they had introduced a new personality type test, aptitude test. Um, so in addition to your uh, school marks, you had to pass this test. And... Needle. Is that is Needle. that to get into to get into medicine medicine yeah. for uni yeah. yeah medicine dentistry and and uh, needless to say I didn't pass personality apparently wasn't suited and uh, I was devastated I was absolutely devastated I got my results maybe two three week, weeks before final exams and was completely lost um, no idea what I wanted to do so did my exams um, had to choose my uni course had zero idea. And uh, my dad said, why don't you do commerce, finance? I was like, well, yeah, okay, I'll do it. But I actually had no understanding of what was involved. I just did it. And uh, for, for a number of years, I think I was quite, I was rudderless, I'd say. It's probably the best way to describe it. I, I got through. I did, I did reasonably well. Just didn't but, have the, dir uh, the direction. Didn't have the drive or the passion. I really didn't. And uh, I got an opportunity to travel after um, when I got my first job. And then really started to have a passion for finance. Got an opportunity to travel to Hong Kong, which was uh, amazing on secondment. Uh, and then when I came back, yeah, really, it motivated me to then transition into at the time, you know, mergers and acquisitions, finance, um, which uh, which possessed, you know, some of the things that I wanted to grow within myself. So that was your, I guess, entrance into the. That was World my entrance. Yeah, the, the, yeah, that's right. So entering into business, dealing with people, helping them solve uh, problems. Um, and they were all attributes that I always wanted to try and foster, you know, from a very young age. What are your um, thoughts on what they did with the uh, personality test? Do you think that was right for them to do or, or stupid I, for them to do? No, no, I think it, it, it actually – so what it does, it actually tries to identify what kind of personality you have when you're dealing with patients. Um, what's your aptitude? So they do, you know, the shapes tests and, and all of those kind of things. But the core element is around the personality and what attributes you have. So when you're dealing with a patient, how would you respond to them? Um, how much do you take on board? How much does it, does it affect you? So, uh, yeah, I, I think excellent thing to do. It's important to do because it's not only your, your, your school score that determines how you'll be in a profession. Your character uh, traits. It's your character traits. So yeah. As well. So, so, you, so you're not. So looking back, you're kind of like, oh, well, that wasn't, that wasn't a, a bad thing. It just Absolutely, set yeah. you on a new, yeah. new life course. Yeah. I guess. New, new, new course. 
Uh, and probably the right course. Yeah. That's probably the most important part. Yeah, I um, agree. If you'd gone down that path, you may end up being unhappy or you may not have the same passion. Or So it's, it's important. And I think that element of understanding culture, understanding, you know, those social EQ type skills are becoming increasingly important for that very reason. It's not just about EQ. It's about EQ. It's about AQ, so adaptability. Um, there's so many elements. We're so layered as 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 humans that uh, you know you need to be able to explore all of those options. Yeah, and I think uh, having a good understanding of each of them, like we did, the, we did a team. Did we did all did the disc test, disc disc test um, once? That was really interesting because what we actually found was a lot of the people in similar roles had the similar um, kind of character traits or, or strengths and weaknesses. Mm. Um, and I mean, I I, I don't. Uh, abide by those tests fully because I mean I think if someone wants to do something and they're committed to it they're going to find a way to that human beings adapt like you can even see when people join your company uh, the first year they're in the adapting stage you know they they might have the skill set but they haven't yet adapted to your team your culture your brand your company the challenges that happen within that company what what as a team we expected that person to do and stand up for themselves and you know they, they, and and while they um they they a lot of the, the new things might not come naturally to them eventually when people are in communities and they're surrounded by people that are like that you do adapt you know it must be some evolutionary survival mechanism that we have in order to to um uh, uh, somewhat connect and assimilate to, to to be more like each other but but I, I see it happen, um, all even just in the office. Yeah, with new staff. And you say when when people first join, it also takes them time. You always take a step back. You're always watching. You're observing mm. what's happening around me, um, and that that then is also part of that adapting process. So that and obviously that's going to become increasingly important now as well as you bring more people into a team, how they interact with the team, how they try and fit, how they try and find their own place. Is uh, is really important. It's almost like you, you should, like companies should make the path to adapting. Don't call it the adaption path, but but you know it's an onboarding. I mean that's pretty a basic term. Yeah, and a lot of companies do this anyway. But there should be a really good onboarding week, month, year, whatever you want to call it, that really outlines and and gives that person um, direction into what's expected you know what what we like it's this whole thing values uh we got a full code of conduct like we, we've written it's not an actual code of conduct we i don't we call it that to be fancy but it's um it's about a 20 30 page document that is basically we take every new team member through it gives them it literally spells out for them you know don't worry if you make a mistake that you know that doesn't matter just learn from the mistake you know we, we hope you do make mistakes quickly so you learn from them quickly. And like we give them little things. If you're unsure, always ask. Like, and we actually tell them this is what's expected. And I find that that really helps. Obviously, um, it's a big leap to for, to what we're talking about now to um, you going into the uh, profession of heart surgery. But my point is if you went, I, I believe, if you did were passionate about it and you actually did go in that direction, you would have adapted um, uh, in time to to have the mindset or the traits in order to do that. Absolutely, because that's that's what you want it to do. But your point around the onboarding is really important because, and I think we're seeing this more and more, 
uh, particularly in in the recruitment industry. Yeah. We, we actually will talk about your business because we'll talk about you after this. We'll talk about your businesses yeah. because because we haven't yet at all. No. <laughs> yeah. But the onboarding piece is really important because, and it's it's a journey. It's not, you know, here's a pack. Here are the ten, um, you know, ten uh, attributes that we expect of you. Or, but it's then about the discipline of maintaining it. It's the ability then for the leadership team to continue to demonstrate that so that if you say, as an example, that if you've made a mistake, go and ask, you've got to be able to demonstrate that when that occurs that the reaction is as they would expect or as you have yeah, exactly. intimated um, should occur. Because then what you do is you build confidence in your team. Then as they build confidence, then they're able to actually do what they're there to do. Um, they're happy to make mistakes knowing so you don't want them making too many mistakes. No, but they feel comfortable they enough feel to comfortable. act. And they have ownership. And when they have ownership, then they enjoy what they do. Yeah. They become passionate about what they do. So it's – the effects are, uh, are ongoing. It's and really giving them that uh, – giving them the power to actually do their role in a right. sense. You know, it's like just do it. Like if, if shit goes wrong all the time anyway. Don't worry about it. But it's a question just you having the ability to do it, not worrying about doing it wrong. But uh, if you do, let's just look at it, take ownership over it and move forward and never make it again. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so what was your – so what what business is your focus right now? So at the moment um, we run a recruitment software business uh, called Turbo. So effectively what that does, it's an end-to-end platform. So if you are looking to uh, hire someone, uh, you'll manage that vacancy within the platform. Uh, you'll raise a job ad, you'll post it out to uh, your careers page or job boards, social media. You'll try and attract candidates for that role. They'll apply. You can screen them on the platform. So we've got an artificial intelligence which will compare their – um, resume to the position description and then give them a score. But I don't understand how does it work. So how do they how do they find the job ad? Are they are they job seekers on the platform? So typically the you'll post onto say Seek or LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, so that job ad will be there. The the candidate will apply because they're looking for a role. Um, otherwise, you can also push your job ad onto social media platforms. So yeah. LinkedIn. So. If you're, let's say you're reviewing LinkedIn and you'll see a, a job pop up, that's typically a paid ad. Um, so yeah, you're trying but then, to get so where does your platform get, where, where does your platform involve? So our, our platform's involved at that point. It's pushing it out to the job boards, but when the candidate clicks apply, we start the process. So they will click apply, they'll answer some questions in relation to the role, uh, they'll get fed back into the system, there'll be an artificial intelligence that will then give them effectively a score uh, around the attributes that you're looking for as the, uh, as the owner of the business and, uh, and what their skill set is. Based on the questions. And also the resume. So okay. it's, it's, it's comparing their skill set against the position. And so the AI can actually read the resume and yeah. go through it and understands it? Yeah, that's right. That's wow, right. that's pretty cool. So it's, uh, look, it's, what it is, it's a tool. It's a tool there to help you screen. It's a tool there to help you identify those candidates that have are more likely to have the skill set or attributes that match the role you're looking to fill. Uh, you take them then through a process which we design. So we'll sit down with you and we'll design, understand what your recruitment workflow is. So you might have you know, five interviews. So we'll build that into the platform and then you take all the candidates through that process 
um, including communicating with them, sending them emails, SMS, all of it is done on the, um, on the platform. Okay, so it makes it easier for you to find the right people. It kind of shortcut, shortens the process or helps you shorten the process. It helps you. It, Not find, sorry, it helps you filter. It helps you filter. Yep. It helps you focus on the right candidates. So it helps you focus. And, and this is one of the big challenges at the present is um, you've got recruitment teams and they may have 20 people that they're looking at. Engaging with that candidate is becoming more of an issue. They've got so many options at the moment. Uh, so your ability to actually engage with them quickly and take them through your process becomes increasingly important. But if you've got 20 candidates and you're trying to focus and you split your time across the 20, it means that you're likely to miss out on those that have the skills that you were after. So what this is trying to do is speed up that process and allow you to find those that are better suited for the role. And because, I mean, finding the right people right now is, is basically the biggest issue ever, everyone's having. We did a survey at CUB and 87% of members were currently hiring. Mm -hmm. And 50, was it 50%, Laura? 48% said that um, not being able to find enough people was currently the biggest issue they had in business. So, uh, for, I mean, 48% is not 90%, but that's almost 50% saying the biggest issue they currently have right now in business is finding people, is growing the team. Which is a that's a large number. And look, the so so part of it is also understanding the environment that we're in. So if you look at if you look at the stats, so we're currently sitting at three and a half percent unemployment. That's the lowest level in 48 years. What is it normally? Uh pre-COVID, it was sitting around the five, six percent mark. March of 2020, March to June of 2020, it went up to 7.5. And then some, from that point, it's fallen now to 3.5%, um, which is crazy when you look at it. Uh, you look at the number of job vacancies in the market at the moment, I think it's somewhere around 480,000. Prior to COVID, it was around 220. Yeah, I don't doubt it. So when you're looking for uh, an individual, and because of obviously migration policies at, at present, it's difficult to find people. And you're not going to be able to find people. So I think the challenges that they're facing is being felt, and then it obviously varies by sector, hospitality, restaurants, aged care or healthcare, uh, some real… Airports. Airports. In the airport lately, it's That's a right. joke. So this demand-supply issue is, is really being felt across uh, so many different sectors. And I guess what can you see? Do you have much vision in what, what companies should be doing in order to… Best find people. Or Look, I, I think, I think ultimately the best place to start is your own house. So, uh, one of the things that we recommend to, to clients is really about understanding what is your value objective. What's the culture within your organisation? What are the type of people you're trying to find? And um, it's probably one of the areas where there's not as much focus as, you know, say the financials or, or the budget that you have in a business. You know, there's so, often so much rigor around what work you're doing on the financials, what your budget is, but that same level of emphasis or rigor isn't applied to the culture within your organization. You know, what are employees feeling? 
What do they like about the business? What do they not like? Why are they still here? And understanding that part is actually really, really important because once you understand that, then you can say, okay, this is our business. This is what we want. These are the type of people we're looking for. And then you go and promote that. So whether it's through your brand, whether it's through, you know, your internal HR team or external HR team, if you're unable to communicate what you're looking for, how do you expect your recruiters to, to do that for you? Um, I guess it's kind of like the same concept as identifying your target market for your business or even like your, for us, like your podcast target market. Mm. You know, speak to the podcast um, like I'm doing it at the moment. I'm speaking to a lot of the um, uh, podcast list, uh, subscribers yeah. and just ask them, what do you like about it? What do you, you know, what other podcasts do you listen to? How old are you? You know, like. And, and finding what they want, what their problems in life are, and what they what the podcast does for them, and therefore you can then go and and, and um, create content that attracts more people like them. It's better suited to to them. And and often the the perceptions you have get challenged. So you may think that yeah, look, I think this, more often than not, more more often than not, that's that's exactly right. And then what that does is it allows you to then recalibrate. It allows you to adapt. And, you know, we, we've been talking about some of these things, but they're, they're critical in all aspects of your business. So once you can start getting that feedback, you can then start to change how you're doing things, if they need to change. Um, it challenges your perceptions about your business, about your, your value beliefs, whatever it might be. Um, and if you're then able to articulate that within your brand, within the recruiters, then you start to go and find, okay, well, what's the type of candidate we want to find? It's more about the quality than the than the quantity. And um, one trick that I do that I found works quite well um, is I'll go like right now, I'll go on LinkedIn and look. Right now, it is hard to find people, so I'm not pushing to grow very much anyway. Like it's it's like if the property market's the highest it's ever been, do you really want to be buying property or the stock market's super high? Do you really want to be buying at that time? Sometimes you got to bite the bullet and say, okay, look, well, we can't grow as much manpower as we would like right now but that's fine let's not focus on that let's focus on what we can do yeah. uh, what what is good for us to do right now and like one thing i'm doing currently <laughs> i hope no listeners like hey you did that to me is um i'll go on linkedin and which is an incredibly powerful platform i absolutely love um, um linkedin for the purpose of recruitment um and i'll literally just type whatever I'm looking for, like mm. if it's a partnership manager or a, a, a executive, an EA or, or a relationship manager, I'll just type it in and you get all the relationship managers. I'll connect with the ones that I think uh, have the experience that are suited to Cub. I don't message them or anything. I just connect with them because it's the same way like using LinkedIn for a, a business development platform. Uh, you know, it's just, It would be the same way as me connecting with business owners on LinkedIn, posting content them seeing that content they'd be like oh I, I want to meet other business owners too maybe i'll maybe i'll hit cover when it comes to when the market's better and when there is some movement in the market and and there's more job i can post for example i'm looking for a, like we're going to need a partnership manager very soon in fact we need one now but i'm just not pushing it because there's easier battles walls i could climb at this point in time I'll I'll post a lot of ads. I'll, I'll post just normal posts on my newsfeed. Right? We're looking for the partnership managers, the best partnership manager job because of this and blah, blah, blah. And all these partnership managers I've connected with over the past four months, six months are going to see that. And one of them might be like, hey, I'll, 
I'll um, uh, I'd love to I'll talk about. It. Yeah. Or I can go back through my um network page on LinkedIn. I can go see all the partnership managers, and when it, that time comes, I'll message them and just say, "Hey, listen, um, uh, we're currently looking for a partnership manager manager for Cap. Um, uh, I obviously know you've got a job right now." But do you know of anyone that is in your space? You know, any friends that you have that are partnership managers that are that are that might be interested in this opportunity? It's a really fantastic opportunity. That way, they're not. You know, it's not like you're approaching them and begging for them to come. But if they're interested, you know, I'll be like, they'll be like, yeah, oh, oh, well, what about me? I'm, I've been thinking about a change. I'm looking for something to own. Some, you know, and. And you can get that way, or they might say, "Yeah, I've actually got a friend." <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that, that's, that's my perfect. strategy well, right now. Anyway, brilliant. for the listeners, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's so I don't know whether you, you I'm pro, actually pro, a genius. Pro, I sound pro, like a proactive. You are, you are a genius. You definitely are. Like <laughs> no, but it is. That's exactly what you know. If you look back at, at what I was saying, is what you, that's proactive recruitment. What you're doing is you are actually putting it out there. You're connecting with them. At some point, you know, they'll be seeing your feeds. They'll be seeing what kind of business you're running. They'll they'll start to appreciate your brand, as as they and and you may, it's it may be that they're just flicking through it. But every time Cub comes up, the values that you have, the beliefs, the type of people you have on board, you know, the type of people that you would like, it all starts to filter through. And it's just basic basic brand marketing that's right the more i see coca-cola sign the more i trust coca-cola and will reach for coca-cola when i see it as an option in the in the you know the more people see you the more they trust you that's right i'm fairly certain i read that that's actually a scientific proven thing like the more someone sees you the more they the, the more they trust you and that's why these brands just blast their their logos uh, around the place yeah that's right so for yourself you know as you said by having yourself out there by having your podcasts or your blogs um, you're naturally going to engage with people and whether it's themselves and social media is perfect for doing it because you have the opportunity through people liking your stories, sharing your stories. It's a multiplier effect. They'll push it out to their network and all of a sudden you might have connected with say two or three partnership managers but you now have access to their entire network and, uh, and that's hugely powerful and it's free. And so does your does the platform um turbo is that the because uh, you were telling me once you were working on a video interviewing platform is that turbo or is that a different one so that's a different one so we uh we founded a video interviewing platform one way video interviewing platform called Viddy. uh and effectively what that does it's a screening tool where you can send a list of questions to a applicant uh, the applicant will receive it on their mobile phone tablet and they'll respond to those questions uh, on video. And so what you have the opportunity to do then is that if you've sent it out to you know, 10 or 15 candidates, you'll get their video back in relation to those questions and you can then screen them and work out who you actually want to bring in for your face That's very cool as well. So yeah. you, do your, you do your recruitment, um, like you might post your ad as usual on LinkedIn or Seek or wherever it is. You get the candidates that you think look the most appropriate you send them an email saying, look, we'd, we'd love to meet with you, but first can you can you answer these questions for us? They make a video, you send it in, you can see the ones that are best suited to you, and bang, 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 you've shortened your list straight away. Exactly. It's like doing an interview without actually having, having to do it. 
It's th- that's exactly right. And you're getting a sense on the individual. You actually, what you're seeing is you're able to engage with them a little bit more than what you would get from, say, a resume. They're able to articulate why they might be suitable for the job or what skill set they have. And then you can then focus on those individuals. And what it does, it actually saves you a lot of time. If you were to phone interview all of those individuals, it may take you two weeks. And by that time, the, the person you wanted might have got another job. So here you send them the video interview, you identify them, you call them in. And uh, from a time perspective, you can get it done a lot more quickly, which is, which is important. And you're able to see, like, is this person – uh, suited to our culture and to our brand mm. you know like if your brand is um uh, you know a high-end premium brand are they are they well dressed are they well presented do they speak um appropriately you know like it, um you're able to see these things and be like okay this person uh, they look like they suit the, the the brand and the culture of the company use let me say you see lots of funny things and you've got videos that uh, people send through so, um, you know, you, you have people where they haven't done their bed in the background. Yeah, imagine. Uh, they're wearing a singlet, <laughs> you know, and it's a reflection then on how seriously they're taking this process, how seriously they're taking how the interview. Much, well, how much they want the job. How much they want the job. Um, so you, you're able to extract a lot of additional information through a video and often, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure what you're like, but you'll go into an interview and typically within about five, ten minutes, you know whether or not they're going to proceed or whether they're right for the job. Yeah. I used to be like that. I changed because I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so maybe Cubs' first three years, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm so good with people. I just I would know in the first two minutes. Yeah. But now I've learned, in my opinion anyway, it's bit, for, for me, I need to meet them yeah. At least three times. Okay. At least. And have the team meet them as well. Partic- and, and, and I want the team, I want them to interview the team. I really enjoy that because then A, you can see how clever they are with the questions they're asking. Mm. But B, they I mean, you also have to sell yourself to them as well. They're they're applying for the job. But I mean, you you need to sell yourself too. And I think by giving them the ability to ask the team. It's a more trusted source of information than the owner or the hiring manager or whoever is responsible for recruiting them, because that person obviously is going to what is trying to get them on board if if they if they like them if they, if they're suitable. But when you're speaking to your peers, the, you know the, the potential peers on the team, you know what's the culture like? What's the work? What how you? Know, what are your guys' targets? Do you hit them? Mm. Like and, and and it gives that element anyway. So now I try to. I try to extend it now and, and it's been a lot more successful since doing that. The other thing that I um, uh, the issue that you have with doing that though is what you brought up before is that time is such an important factor towards recruiting someone right now. Mm. It's like sales. The longer a sale drags out, the less likely they're, 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 you're going to make the sale. And that's the same with recruitment. So um, which means that if I still don't drop the three interviews. We always do three interviews for everybody at the yeah. minimum. But we might do them in one week or in a two-week period or two in the first week, one in the week. The week. So we'll do it fast um, and we'll make a decision fast. And we tell them, look, we're going to make a decision quickly, but we have three interviews. These are what each of them are. This is what they're for. We're going to fit this into the, the next two weeks if that works for you. And, and that way they know, okay, this company has a plan. This company knows what they're doing. I already think this is a good company to work for because 
They've already told me, okay, interview one's this, interview two's this, interview three's this, this when they're happening, uh, estimate amount of time, and we're going to make a decision fast, which means, you know, okay, as the, as the interviewee, I'm like, okay, I like this. This is a lot more direction. It's then, transparent. Yeah. and it, It's transparent. Yeah. And that's what candidates actually want. So there, there has been a shift. There has been a shift in the dynamic. The power, the power has shifted towards the candidate. Right now. Right now. And, and it will shift again. But I still think that the lessons that you learn from this experience, the lessons that we're learning now during this period, it will rebalance in some shape or form. But those lessons are still important. Um, but to your point around the three meanings, uh, that doesn't change. And I think that's the key, the key part of being able to leverage technology or screening tools is so that for that three interview process, meeting the team, you are dedicating your resources and focus and energy on, on the right people, the people that are most likely to succeed. If you do it over 20 people, by the, by the time you get to the 20th, you'll be exhausted. So, uh, and, and, then, and the thing is, is that, that 20th person will probably have a very different view of your organisation and yourselves as individuals than the first person where you're happier you're vibrant, you're happy to be part of the recruitment process. By the time you get to number 20, you're, you might be quite exhausted. Yeah, you are. You can't do that many, yeah. you know, I found. Yeah. But, but do you know what else is so important? And it, it's, it's a pattern in life in, and in, especially in business is that when the hard times come, on, on whatever that hard time is about, so right now hard time is recruiting, mm. right? That means all the businesses, all the businesses have to get better at recruiting. Right. So you literally upskill your business on becoming better at, at finding and bringing and onboarding people and, and hopefully the right people. What that means, and it, it, what that means is, for example, if there's a recession coming next year, which there very well could be, yeah. it's going to be a lot easier to hire, you're entering an e a market more suitable to recruitment with a much stronger recruitment operation and, and you're better at recruiting. So when the market gets better to recruiting, there's more candidates, you're, or you're so good at recruiting from the hard time that when the good time comes, bang, you can bring on so many people, you can bring them on fast, you can bring them on well. And, you can, and that works for everything. That's like in a, uh, in a recession, right? All, all of a sudden, ooh, can't spend money there, can't spend money there, have to reduce my costs here, uh, fixed costs have to drop. and, and Variable cost, yep, see you later, we don't need you anymore. Uh, any upgrades to things? No. And you, you get better at financially slimming your business. When the good time comes, all of a sudden you can profit huge profits because you've gotten so good at managing the finances and then after a while you forget about that and you start spending money and then the recession comes again and <laughs> it repeats. Yeah, so and really interesting point. So one of the trends that we saw um, when COVID hit is that a number of businesses the first teams that they cut were recruitment. And so a lot of the relation, and we saw that because we have relationships with HR teams and agencies and so forth. And we saw that there was significant movement in those teams. So when it came to slimming down costs, the first thing they did was, okay, well, you know, which teams do we cut? Yeah. Recruitment teams. Which, and I mean then when it changed, to your point, they weren't prepared and they didn't have the team that understood the business. And they didn't have the team there that actually had the skill set or they, they could hire, obviously, but you're losing so much IP um, and so quickly that it then become, it takes you time to then regenerate. And that comes back to the whole sacrificing element. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I need to sacrifice 
something to reduce my cost. Mm. Is the sacrifice of that, is my financial situation bad enough or do I believe it's going to get bad enough to justify that sacrifice of that the, of people of of I of human of human capital? Yeah, or or is it not? And that varies company to company. For for, for me, it takes us so long to build um, strong team members because we're such a unique business. It's not like we can go take it from another members club for entrepreneurs and business owners. Like mm. there, there are none others, and the ones that there are, we want to be nothing like. So. Yeah. So you know, it takes us a long time to build them. For me to lose that is not a viable option. You know, so for in my situation, well, I wouldn't be cutting people in that place. But then again, when you talk about big businesses and they've got, or you know, they've got a key leader, they they know they're going to find people because they are. Yeah, they might be different. So it's just company to company. But but my point prior about when the hard times come, getting better. I mean, I think what's important to note is that. You, when something's difficult to do, you really need to take that as the opportunity to improve on that particular topic. And you might not see the results straight away because it's a bad environment for it. But when the better environment comes, you, you're better as a business because of it. You're better equipped. You're more, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, you're better equipped. You're more, you're, you're ready for that change because change will occur. Mm. Um, often it's about not only that decision, but also your ability to last it out. And that then I think is the, uh, the overlaying or, or the other consideration. And you have to um, think like life's a competition. Yeah. Like business is a competition mm. because someone's going to market better than you. Someone's going to recruit better than you. Someone manages their finances better than you. You know, when, when, when the financial hard times come, oh, can you manage your finances better than the person next to you that has the same business? It is a competition. doesn't matter how you look at it. You need to, you need to be in a better position. And, and the best way to improve is to quite literally improve on each element as it gets more difficult to do. Is to is to focus on it. Yeah. How difficult is business? <laughs> well, Actually, we're is. making it sound it very is. hard. Like it's a lot of moving parts. There are so many parts, and uh, you know, you're pointing around staff as well. We did we did something similar to to yourselves, um, and some of it comes through learnings with what happened with my parents, and but we retained all of our staff as well at the start of COVID to give them the comfort that they were there to focus on their role. Uh, so many of them, you know, had friends who were losing their jobs and um, were under financial pressure. But the fact that we were able to give them, and I'm sure that the team here probably went through the same thing, by being able to give them that security, by being able to give them that trust, they then are comfortable in what they're doing. They're able to focus on what they're there for and they're able then to, to to push the the business and help the business grow during this period during this challenging time. So, uh, yeah, I think yeah, I, I don't think I could agree with you more. Yeah, uh, we do have to wrap up soon, but there's one other thing I want to talk to you about. You, I'm assuming because it's your finance and M and A background uh, that you were in before you got into entrepreneurship and business. Mm. You actually purchased your businesses. Is that correct? Yeah, rather that's right. than having to start them from scratch, yeah, which which is um, becoming a more popular method of getting into business, and, yeah. and particularly for people that um, uh, are in the position you were in in finance or in the corporate space, where you know they're probably making big money, they have a bit of capital they can put into a business, um, and they want that. Uh, I guess what was that experience like? What made you choose to purchase a business as opposed to starting one? I think. So one of the things was 
uh, actually using it as an opportunity to learn. So I knew that I'm moving from a, whilst I've got a finance MA background, uh, alongside my business partner, what we wanted to try and do was actually purchase a business so that we could learn how to run a business. We could learn what the elements are that we need to get across. What do we need to improve? Um, how do we become better leaders, managers of people? Uh, how do we manage the finances? So by purchasing a business that was already established, it allowed us to, to do that, make mistakes, um, and not necessarily kill the company. Uh, and so that really was the, the attractive element from that perspective. Uh, we are, we've got a process through how we identified these companies, but having gone through that, you know, it's now we've founded the video interviewing. But our ability oh, so you to… you started the video interviewing. We started yeah, the yeah. video interviewing. But the, the reason we were able to was because of the experiences and the lessons that we learned from acquiring businesses. Yeah, it's kind of, it would kind of be like instead of building a car, I'm going to buy one. Yeah. And I'm going to figure out can I improve the suspension? What happens if I flip this switch on the engine? What does it get faster? Can I make the wheels more grippy so the traction? You know, it, it's 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 just a it's it's actually somewhat clever, more clever in, in the sense it's like I can get something that's that's um, that's functioning. It's already built. It's functioning. It's got the wheels are on. It's mm. got an engine. Mine don't be the flashiest engine, but I'm going to get into this thing believing that I can upgrade this engine. And that's kind of the concept. The more grippy analogy is is perfect. Yeah, yeah. more grip. Yeah. More grip. Yeah. yeah, awesome, man. Well, why don't we wrap up today with a greatest lesson in business, or um, or a greatest lesson from a big, a, a pivotal moment of your life that got you into business? Uh, I'd say so. I'd say greatest lesson in business. Obviously, COVID has been a challenge, um, but I think you face challenges in business all the time. I think we're going to be facing economic headwinds now, so more challenges coming, but the biggest challenge I actually had during COVID was my ability to communicate with my staff. And what I mean by that is that because it was so fluid, um, often I found if we – I'd make a decision and if it was a mistake or we needed to recalibrate, you'd change pretty quickly. Uh, and so ensuring that you've got the right – strategies in place to make sure your staff are on board and you communicate with them and they trust you that's another big element of it they need to be able to trust you as a leader that you're going in the right direction um was probably one of my biggest lessons is sorry lessons from that experience uh the more you can do that uh i think you know you'll find it easier to have your team kind of work with you rather than go in different directions i i always say that your team need to trust that yeah, she's the woman or he's the guy that is going to take us from here to there. And by being here, I'm going to be better off. I'm going to be, I'm going to be able to build a great life for myself. Yeah. And that, that comes with trust in, in the leader, trust in their team, trust in even their product or service. Mm. You know, like if they don't know that the service or product's good, then they're going to be less inclined to be passionate about it. So it's really trust with your as a team is it's like a family my grandmother my nana always says without trust there's nothing is that <laughs> in a marriage you know yeah, it's exactly. the same thing trust yeah. and respect <laughs> it's the same thing like yeah. you, it, it, a family is a community and a business is a community and your business is your family and i fully agree with that in yeah. fact we're going to end with that um uh, to our listeners if you want to find out 
more about Surab, uh, you can go to cub.club forward slash podcast and you'll find more information there. His uh, favorite books, quotes, um, you can get in contact with him and you can see all the inf- uh, tons of information from all our other podcast guests. It's wicked. What's equally as awesome is our uh, social media, which is at Club United Business on Instagram. Find us there. Surab, thank you so much, my man, for Thank you so much for on. having me. And happy yeah. 30th. Thank you. you yeah, look, you, we look, also, you look amazing. After oh your man, own. I left. I left Australia in my twenties. I felt great. I've come back in my thirties. My fucking hand hurts. My 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 foot hurts. I don't know what's going on. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not feeling thirty. Uh, I'm not. I'm not digging thirty right now. But um, we'll see how the rest of it goes. But no, thank you. It was good to catch thank up. You, we haven't. Thank you. We haven't. We haven't actually caught up in a while too. No, that's right. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks.